it's a, a good reminder that it's a privilege to be able to give back to God. It's a privilege to be able to, to give because what we're doing is we're saying, God, we recognize that you are our provider and you are the one who gives us all that we have and makes us all that we are. And so when we give back to God, whatever that portion looks like, it's whatever it says in this word, whatever he has put in our heart to give, and not to give out of compulsion, but to give with a heart of joy and thanksgiving, for the Lord certainly loves a cheerful giver. And so that's what we're doing this morning. Uh, before we move into our message for this morning, our, um, our young people are certainly invited, as always, to go and join in kids' worship when they get to have their own special time of hearing and studying God's Word and worshiping Him and praying together. Uh, before we move into our, our, um, our message for this morning, I just wanted to, um, to bring something to your attention. Most of you get our emails, uh, but if you didn't get our email or didn't hear that uh, we lost a dear friend yesterday, that Hans Opterbeck, um, he went home to be with the Lord. And he hadn't been here for a while. It had been hard for him to, to move around and to walk since he had surgery. And, and uh, he had been suffering the last couple of weeks. And uh, his daughter, uh, B had mentioned that they were praying that the Lord would be gracious and merciful. And, and of course, in his perfect timing, he was and took Hans home uh, quietly yesterday morning about 3.30 a.m. And he is now in glory with his father. Amen. And we look forward to seeing him again one day, and and um, in the email we, we sent out the uh, the tentative plans, and it looks like that's what it's going to be for the arrangements. So that's this Thursday. It'll it'll be here uh, Thursday from two to four and six to eight will be the viewing times, and then Friday morning also here will be the funeral service with some time of worship and a time from the Word, um, and then after the funeral service we'll have the repast here. Uh, before the the graveside interment uh, down in uh, in Tom's River, so all the information is in the email. But I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned it for anyone who didn't get the email or, or hear. Um, but you know, Hans was uh, um, you know we've been here just uh, almost two years, Claudia and I and our family, and um, so for for many of those months, we got to to get to know Hans a little bit and saw him on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. And if you knew him at all, he was such a gentle soul and had such a, a great encouraging spirit about him. And, uh, and I always remember that he, would, um, that he would always shake my hand. He had the firmest handshake of anybody. But he was such a gentle person, but he would just shake your hand with such confidence. And, and, uh, and it just felt so great because he was so encouraging always. And... Um, and I'd always kind of very listen intently to what he was saying because he had such a slight voice and, and that, that great thick German accent, you know, but uh, he always had something very beautiful and encouraging to say. And, and as it said in the email, he loved his God and he loved his church. And so he loved Trinity and he, he missed it dearly. And so we will certainly miss him. And so if we would just pray right now for his family, uh, his daughters and, and grandchildren, if we would just pray for them. We've all lost somebody, and so we know like what this week is going to be like for them, and just kind of preparing, and in some ways you go through the motions, but um, in another way, of course, they're rejoicing because they know where he is, and uh, that he is rejoicing with the Lord, and no longer bound by this uh, earthen vessel, but he has now received his glorified body and, and is with uh, the Lord Jesus. So let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for the blessing that Hans was to our church family, to each of us and in his own unique way. We thank you for uh, the blessing he will continue to be in our memories, and our thoughts. We thank you, Lord, that he was um, used by you to encourage us and uh, to just be a, a great beacon of light um, and that he would always light up a room whenever he came in. And so we thank you for him. Thank you, God, for being merciful and taking him home to be with you, something he longed for. But we also pray for his family who are left behind temporarily until you call us all home. But we pray for them in their week of mourning, but also of rejoicing that he is no longer in pain or suffering. Bless them as they make preparations 
And uh, we just are, are praying, Jesus, that you would come alongside of them. As we know you say in your word in the Psalms that you are close to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. There is always hope, and we thank you for that. And Father, we, uh, we're just asking your continued blessing on our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so um, it says in John 14, these great words of Jesus, Let not your hearts be troubled, for believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Hans certainly knew the way that was through his Lord Jesus. And so it was in his timing that Jesus was preparing a room for him. And um, we have that great hope the rest of us who are still here in these earthen vessels. He says, if I go and prepare a place, I will certainly come again and take you to myself. That is sort of the, that it certainly is the glorious hope, is it not? Of uh, of the church of Jesus Christ. And so it says in here that Jesus is preparing a place. And um, actually, if you you noticed the uh, title of this morning's message, it is all in the preparation. So much of our life is spent preparing. Isn't that right? We kind of always think about it. Just take a moment to think about your daily routine and how much time do you actually take preparing for something, right? And you wake up and, and um, you know, you probably, before you even take a shower, you put the coffee on. And that's the most important prep time of the day, right? All right? And then you take your shower and it's kind of, you go through your routine, whatever it is, to, to prepare yourself for the day. But everything that we sort of do throughout uh, the day is kind of preparing for what's next. And uh, there was a great show on TV years ago that my family and I love called The West Wing. And it was all about um, politics, about the president. And he had a famous saying in that show, he always said, what's next? And he would tell his staff, okay, what's next? He was ready to move on. He was ready for what was next, you know. And, and uh, because they were always sort of preparing for something. But life is really, in a way, just a series of preparations for whatever is next. You know, at least once a week, I, uh, I like to go to a local coffee house. Uh, usually it's a Starbucks near us or another one. And, and uh, I do some of my sermon preparation throughout the week, preparing for this morning's message. Um, I like to sit in the coffee house. I like sort of the energy and the buzz and hearing people. And it, it's interesting, you know, some people can't work with those distractions, but I actually like it because it kind of drowns out and becomes kind of white noise, you know, and, and you see people coming and going. It just reminds you of things, and, and uh, it's also a good opportunity sometimes to meet people. And so this past week, I got to, uh, to meet a man named Mark, and he said his name was Mock because he was actually from Boston. And he explained to me, and this is a side note, um, has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but he explained to me, he said, he had a really thick accent. He said, uh, the best way to describe it, if you take the word shot, like if you somebody points a gun at you and pulls the trigger, you say that you're shot. And then I said, yeah. And he said, and he said if you're not tall, what are you? I said, short. He goes, no, you're shot. It's the same, see? So it's the same word, shot and shot. So if you're not tall, you're shot. So... Anyway, he was trying to teach me that. So I was sitting there, and then he was sort of in a, a chair next to me. And before I actually um, started a conversation with him, I was just sitting there typing away. And, and uh, he was sort of in my peripheral here, and he was reading a book. And he kind of caught my attention, so I looked over at him and smiled. And he just looked at me, and he said, this was his first words to me, uh, what do you know about quantum theory? That's exactly how he started the conversation. And so you talk about being prepared. I was totally unprepared for that question. And so um, the first thing that came to my mouth, you know, sometimes you say things and then you wish you could take them back. And I say, oh, I know a little bit about that. I, I know nothing about it. I kind of wanted the conversation to go, you know, keep going. 
And uh, so he started for the next about 10 minutes. He was just kind of like regurgitating stuff that he was reading in the book. And he was so like, you know, excited about this topic. And he was reading a whole book on, uh, I can't remember the name. It's all about quantum physics and theory. And I had no clue what he was talking about, but he was just talking. And, and so as he's talking, you know, when you meet people and, you know, you're in a conversation, you know, oftentimes the spirit puts it on your heart. Like you look for an opportunity to kind of maybe steer the the conversation, the things that are spiritual. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking as he's talking, I'm thinking, how am I going from quantum theory to talk about Jesus, you know? And so all I could do is when he was done, he was kind of talking. I said, I said, um, what about God? That's all. I just said it like that. There's no like good segue. I said, what about God? And he said, well, he goes, yeah, I believe in God. And then he started talking about how, um, you know, he, he kind of struggles with this idea of science and God. And, and so then I started asking him, I said, well, in this whole theory of quantum physics and studying the universe, how it works, do they ever talk about religious things like that it leads to God? He goes, no, no, not in this book. And so we talked a little bit and then he had to be on his way. And so I sat there thinking like, okay, Lord, I'm, you know, I was able to bring it up and I told him I was a local pastor and you know, he seemed interested, you know, and, and, uh, you're not here this morning, are you Mark? Cause he said he might come. All right, good. I mean, I want him to be here, but I, I you know, I want to tell the story. Um, so anyway, so, so then he kind of left, and I was just sitting there thinking I was totally unprepared for that. Like, you never know what somebody's going to say, what's going to come out of their mouth, you know. But that's one of the great things about kind of getting out and doing some work in a coffee house. You never know who you're going to meet, right? So um, before you go out and, and start sharing the gospel, you should brush up on your quantum theory, just in case. It has something to do with matter and energy and how they work together. And I see people going like this. I'm like, you, have, you don't know. You know. People are like, yeah, 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 energy and, and all that. So, you know, that's, that was um, a really interesting, you know, um, uh, dialogue that I had there, an interesting conversation. But um, it started then getting me thinking about as I was preparing for the message and about how it just seemed pretty clear that the passage we're going to read in just a couple of minutes is all kind of about preparation. It's God preparing his servant Peter to bring the gospel to a new group of people, and that's the Gentiles. Because you remember the the gospel is for the Jew first and then the Gentiles? You remember when they were called by the Lord Jesus to go and to spread the gospel and to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria a little bit further out and then to the ends of the earth, right? To the known world. And so that's what's happening here. Because our whole um, series in Acts, which we're back into this morning, is called the, the unstoppable mission of the church or the church on mission. And it was unstoppable. And so we really see that very clearly in this passage. So we're going to be looking at um, Acts chapter 9. And we are in verses, uh, verse 32. And we're going through Acts 10, 23. All right. So it's Acts 9, 32 through 10.23. And it's the two stories of Peter healing a lame man and then he brings a female disciple back to life. And then we see this interesting story about visions that God gives to a Gentile who worships Yahweh, gives him a vision, but then gives his servant Peter a vision, which you'll probably remember from reading this, in, this really interesting vision of a sheet with animals on it, kind of descending. Remember that? And he's on the rooftop, so we're going to read that. But really, in a sense, it's all about preparation. And so as we're reading through it and kind of touching on a few points, just kind of keep that in mind in context of what does it look like in your life to be preparing for what's next and perhaps be thinking and praying about what is it that God is preparing you for next? It's something we can ask God, God, what's next? Maybe on a daily basis or the next season of your life, God, what's next in your plan for me? You know, um, when we go through school, isn't it always about preparation? You're in elementary school, kind of preparing to go to middle school, and then you're preparing to go to high school, and then you're probably preparing to go out into the workforce or go off to college and it's, you know, you're preparing to take tests, you're learning and studying, you're preparing, preparing, right? It seems like your whole life is preparing in school. Um, if you're ever married or went to a wedding, is there a lot of preparation involved in that? 
You know, I always hear that when we get the privilege to be able to counsel young couples and after the wedding, they're just like, I can't believe it was like, that was it. You know, like it was amazing, but it was like all these months or maybe even years of preparation for that one, you know, that one day. But there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. You often hear young couples that are then um, going to have kids. They say they're preparing to have kids. And then I kind of try not to laugh like you can't prepare to have. I mean, nothing prepares you to have kids, right? You know, um, yeah, young couples often say, you know, we're saving up enough money to have kids. We're going to be the right time. And, and that is good. That's good to do. But um, if you have kids, you know, you never have enough money and time and energy and all that for the kids. But it's about preparation, right? Um, I know that when you go to paint, when you're going to paint a room, right, it's all in the preparation, isn't it? You take all that time to tape it off and you edge it and you get everything ready. And then the last part, just kind of putting the paint on the wall is the biggest part. That's the easiest part. But it's really all in the preparation. How about cooking? It's all in the preparation, right? You're preparing, getting the ingredients and buying it and putting it together and looking at the recipe. But then like kind of putting it in the oven, that's the easy part. But it was all in the original preparation. Or at work, you know, you're preparing for a meeting, a business trip for a project. You get it. When I was younger, I, 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 um, I played um, football and I played baseball in, in school, but mostly baseball because I never liked football. You know why? Because it was all preparation. It's like all practice. You practice five or six days a week and you have one game. And that didn't fly with me. I like baseball because you play just about every day, right? And so because it was too much preparation, it was practice, 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 and then you get to play one game. I wanted to play the games. So I like baseball and then even golf better because you know how you prepare for golf? You play golf. That's what I love, yeah. I mean, you go to the range, but you go and you play and you play and you get to prepare that way. So I liked it. But in Scripture, there's a lot of examples of how God leads his people in preparation for what's next. You know? Um, we talked about uh, a while ago, when we started talking about the possibility of a name change here at church, um, we talked about, remember if, we, if you went to that, that, um, that Q&A or town hall session, I talked about how oftentimes in Scripture you see God changing somebody's name not randomly, but for a purpose, because he was about to send them on a new mission. And he had a new identity for them. So he changed Abram to Abraham, remember? And we went, there was a, a few of those names. God did that with his people. And Paul even did that and started using the name Paul when he was known as Saul, because that was his given sort of Gentile Roman name. And so he was going to then go to the Gentiles Right after what we're reading today is the is sort of the precursor to Paul going, but Paul goes and he's like, "Well, I better start using this name so I can break down some walls," and because he was on a new mission. And so God is always preparing. I love the story of Moses because you know it's such a testimony to preparation and how we need to be patient in the Lord because you know it's often a great reminder that that Moses was eighty years old. When God called him out of the wilderness to go and back to Egypt, to the house of Pharaoh, and to say, let my people go. He was 80. So Moses spent his first 40 years in the house of, of the Pharaoh, growing up as a prince, right? We all know the story. And it was all in preparation for God, what God was calling him to do. He was orchestrating all of it. And then the next 40 years he spent in the wilderness when he was banished from Egypt for treasonous murder, right? And so... The next 40 years, he's in preparation. He doesn't know for what's next. But then at the, the ripe young age of 80, God calls him out of the wilderness and said, go and free my people. He tells Abraham to go to a place that I have prepared for you. And Abraham's like, where is that? And God says, never mind, just start going. Right? But God was preparing the way. How about with Joseph? Joseph didn't know how God was going to use him. But he was preparing the way for all the events, the history of the people of Israel to lead up to them being in Egypt through his servant Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob. Remember what Joseph said towards the end of that story, what men meant for evil, God meant for good, right? He realized that God was preparing the way. King David made incredible preparations for the temple, but he even knew he wasn't going to be the one to build it. It was his son Solomon who built it. 
Sometimes in life, we make preparations for things, but we don't get to see the outcome. You know, oftentimes when we share the gospel with people, we have to remember we're planting the seed. And probably more times than not, we don't get to see the fruit of that labor. But that's okay, because that's God for the harvest, right? He's the God of the harvest, and so our job is to plant the seed. So oftentimes God is using us in, in ways of preparation, but like King David, he didn't get to see the fruit of all that preparation. It was his son Solomon who built the temple. How about the story of Esther? Remember how long it took her to be prepared to go before the king? It was like a year, right? A whole year in time of preparation. Now, I mean, in the morning, it takes us some time to get ready, right? I mean, the way we look right now, this we don't roll out of bed looking like this, right? I assume. But we can get ready in a short amount of time. But it took her a year. It was like that was what it was. It was a year to get ready just to go before the king. Talk about a time of preparation. John the Baptist, his whole mission was preparation, wasn't it? Preparing the way of the Lord, preparing the way for Jesus. That's what he was called to do. Preparing the way. And then even Jesus, if you think about it, how old was he about when he started his ministry? About the age of 30? He spent 30 years in preparation. God was preparing him. He was learning the law as a good Jewish boy would. Right? He was learning the customs of the rabbis. And, and uh, he was spending time with his father, earthly and of course heavenly. Jesus spent about the first 30 years of his life in preparation for what was next. Jesus' life really was a preparation for the cross. It's sobering to think about it that way. He was preparing for us a path of reconciliation. Jesus' life was about preparing the way. So today's passage that we're going to read now is about God preparing another one of His servants, Peter. He prepares Cornelius as well, and you're going to see that in this passage, but He's preparing Peter to take the Gospel now to the Gentiles, which was a brand new thing. So I'm going to read through it. And it's a long passage, but you read it and you'll get a sense of the story as we go through it. And then I just want to highlight a few things from the, from the passage about um, how we can apply it to our lives. All right. So here's what it says. This is Acts 9. It's 32 up through 10.23. And it says this. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men to him urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and he went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows, they stood behind him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. And he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea... 
there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything that to them, he sent them to Joppa. So the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging here. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. So rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Isn't that cool? So that's where we're stopping for today. Because next week we're going to pick up on what happens when they get back to the house of Cornelius. But it's almost like you can't make this up. Wouldn't this be just a great Hollywood movie? You kind of like, I hope you're following the story there about what's happening. But we're back in, in the story of Peter. That's how we pick up here in verse 32 in Acts 9. And And we see that Peter, it's a very brief story, but Peter heals a man named Aeneas. Peter had healed someone before, a lame person, remember? So he heals someone again, and he says, rise and and make your bed, and he did that. And then everybody saw, and a lot of them turned to the Lord. So God was using Peter uh, as a witness to his power and authority and to God's healing power. And then it moves on to where it says there was in Joppa, it was a different place, there was a, um, there was a disciple, a female disciple named Tabitha. It said that she was a good person, full of good works and acts of charity, but she became ill and died. And so her friends, the other disciples, they knew Peter was kind of nearby. So they said, let's go get Peter and bring him back. Maybe he can do something. Because we know, they're probably thinking, we know that Jesus, our ascended Lord, he could bring people back from the dead. Maybe Peter could do the same. So they got Peter, and he went back to them. And they were all kind of gathered around weeping, you know. And they were showing them all the stuff that Tabitha had done. And she had made all these beautiful garments and everything. And he put them all outside. And then he knelt down by the bed. Could you picture it as I was reading it? And, and he just says to her, Tabitha, arise. And it's kind of a sweet moment there because she opens her eyes and she sits up and he extends his hand and he helps her to get up and he calls them all back in and he presents her as alive. And it says it became known all throughout Joppa 
And again, many believed in the Lord. So there was healing going on. So we know about that. We know there was healing. But God is specifically preparing Peter for what he's going to do next. And we know that he was taking Peter to go specifically to the house of Cornelius. So this is the time of preparation for that. So when we get to chapter 10, we're now at Caesarea and the house of Cornelius. All right. So here's the story that I just told in a nutshell. So Cornelius is a centurion, which basically meant that he was like a soldier who was in charge of about 100 soldiers. All right. But what's interesting about this centurion, we had, we had met another uh, centurion as well, but here's a centurion who is similar to the other one who, who actually was a God-fearing man. What that meant was that he was a Gentile, who was worshiping and following Yahweh, the God of the Jews. And it said that he was, he was very devout. So he would pray when the Jews were praying. And he probably went to, to be able to worship as close as he could to the temple, right? To worship with them. And, and uh, it said that he was generous, giving the alms, which is what the, the, the people of Israel were called to do. And he prayed continually. And so God then gets a hold of his attention through a a vision. It's a vision of an angel saying simply to him, Cornelius, and he says, what is it, Lord? Probably it's like a a term of uh, respect, like, sir, Lord, like what is it? Lord didn't mean that he recognized that it was God, but he recognized that it was, of course, some authority in this vision. He says, what is it, sir? What is it, Lord? And he said, you're a good man. Your alms have ascended as a memorial before the Lord, and he tells him what to do. Send some of your men to go get this guy, Simon. Bring him to your house. And he told him where he was staying. And then the angel departed, and so that's what Cornelius did. I mean, if an angel, if you have a vision one day during the day, and an angel clearly speaks to you and tells you to do something, I would think that we'd probably do it, right? So that's what happened. And that's how God chose to first speak there to to Cornelius. Because he knew that Cornelius was a devout man. I want to say something about that a little bit later, but it's a really interesting thing that we can take away from that about God talking to Cornelius through the angel because Cornelius had been worshiping him. And so he sends out his his people, uh, three of them, to go get Peter. Now Peter was staying at the house of another guy named Simon, and he was a tanner. You know what's interesting about that? There was, in the Jewish law, it wasn't scriptural, but it was part of their tradition, the rabbinic tradition, that uh, Jews were not to associate, not only with Gentiles who would make them unclean, but they also weren't supposed to touch any dead animals because it would make them unclean. They wouldn't be able to go worship. So what does a tanner do? A tanner deals with the leather, right, the skins of an animal. And so Peter was already staying in the house of a tanner. So you can see that God was working on him. Because you know what? As a good devout Jew, Peter would have never stayed in the house of a tanner. So God was already working in him. But he needed to do more work. Isn't that kind of the same for us? God gets our attention. He's moving us forward and we're learning. But we need to learn more. Always learning and growing and serving him right and so he's staying at the house of the tanner which was significant for that reason and so it says that they get there but as they're traveling then they tell the um luke tells the story here in acts of peter and his vision so now god decides that he's orchestrating all this he's preparing both of them for an an incredible meeting that we're going to see next week but today is the preparation and so he then uh, pre- he presents himself to um, to Peter in a vision. So now Peter was in his house, and it, he went up on the rooftop to pray, right? Because he was the devout Jew, and he was now, of course, a follower of Christ, but he was going to keep praying. And so the houses back then, they had flat roofs, right? And so he went up onto the roof, and he probably needed to get some peace and quiet because it said there was people downstairs making the afternoon meal, He was hungry, but he went up to pray, kind of waiting for the meal to be prepared. And so while he's up there, 
he gets his vision. It says that he, he's hungry and he falls into a trance, right? Have you ever been really hungry and you kind of kind of feel out of it? All right, that's not what happened. He, was, he didn't fall into like a hunger trance. But God put him into a trance to see this vision. But look at what this vision is. Have you ever had a vision like this? He falls into a trance and this is what he sees. The heavens open up. So he's seeing this, right? He's not dreaming it. It's a vision that God gives him. The heavens open up and something like a great sheet. It's been said it's kind of like if you think of a, a sail from a big sailboat. And it's descending from heaven with all four corners, right? Being let down by its four corners. And in this sheet, somehow, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So he's seeing this come down. And then he hears the voice. It's the voice of the Lord says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But you know, there's all kinds of animals here. And some of these animals that are listed would have been unclean for him to eat as a Jew. You see that? That's interesting. So God is telling him to rise and kill and eat, but yet there's clean animals and there's unclean animals according to the law. Back in Leviticus 11, you can read about all of it. And so there's clean and unclean mixed together, and this is perplexing to him. And So what is his first response? He says in verse 14, By no means, Lord. Now, if you know anything about Peter, he kind of has a history of saying no to Jesus, doesn't he? He kind of has a history of saying no, no, no. And Jesus kind of always Peter, Peter, you know, reprimanding him. So here it is again, but he's trying to do the right thing in a sense, right? Because he knows he's not supposed to eat it, but he's getting a direct word from the Lord. He says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Verse 15, the voice comes again. And now he's starting to get why God is giving him this vision. He says, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. But look at verse 16. What a great takeaway for us. What does it say in verse 16? This happened three times. Now, when God speaks to you, do you always listen the first time? Yes, God, boom. And then you're off to do what he calls you to do. Oftentimes, he needs to keep speaking to us, doesn't he? And maybe he sends somebody else with a message in a different way. And, or he, he, he allows something to happen in your life to, to get you thinking about it, you know, moving you in the right direction. Because oftentimes, I mean, we are sheep, right? And, what, and sheep don't always listen right away. Sheep just kind of stand there, you know. And so we need to kind of be prodded a little bit. So it says, three times this happened. And then the thing was taken up into heaven. We're also going to see this story again. This story is pretty significant in the whole book of Acts, this mission of the church. It comes up again in chapter 11 and then I think in chapter 15. So it's pretty interesting. But then after three times him showing him this vision, then it was taken up into heaven, this thing it said. So Peter in verse 17 was perplexed. What does this mean? But then at that time, the men arrived. See, now it's kind of all coming together. Don't you love when that happens, when you're praying for something, you're wondering, like, what's next? What's God preparing you for? And then you kind of see all of the parts coming together. It's beautiful to see God doing that. And so that's what's happening. So then he is, he's just kind of coming out of this trance and this vision, and it says that the Spirit says to him, there's three men looking for you, so go downstairs, because I sent them. Right? So Peter, of course, goes downstairs. He says, I'm the one that you're looking for. Why are you here? And they tell him, Cornelius, they tell him all about Cornelius. And they say, an angel told him to send us to get you. You've got to go back to his house. And so, of course, Peter just had this vision. See, Peter is learning little by little. He had already been at the house of the tanner. So he was already kind of coming to grips with things are now different in the kingdom of God with Jesus as king. See, Jesus came to usher in a new kingdom, right? And so oftentimes, didn't Jesus and his disciples defy the law that was there the pharisees would be like why are you letting them eat on this or you know not washing their hands whatever it is and so here it is god is saying take and kill and eat and peter's first reaction is no way lord I'm not doing that i'm not supposed to but then he's kind of giving him this new law remember when jesus said a, a new command i have for you to love one another 
man, that was so new. Why? I mean, we, they knew they were supposed to love each other. But why? Because now the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ was not coming just to the Jews, which is what they assumed all along. It was coming to the whole world through the Jews. See that? They missed that. And so now he's sending Peter to go, we're going to see that next week, to go to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. And people get saved. It's an awesome sight. But it's really the first group of Gentiles that are led to the Lord. And so that is what God is preparing for Peter to do. So a few things that I want to point out about this. God is preparing both of them for a meeting. You know, we pray that God would help prepare us for what's next, but, you know, if there's divine appointments that we often say that we're praying for, God is preparing other people too. You know that? Doesn't He often use people to bless us, to teach us things? So God is preparing other people too to bring us together. That's one of the beautiful things about the church, that we come together to encourage each other. Because maybe God is doing something in your life that you can then share with somebody else because they need to hear it. Doesn't that that happened to you often or maybe you're like listening to a sermon on the radio and you're like that's just for me you know how's God doing that that's how awesome he is right and so Cornelius it says he was a God-fearing uh, person who was worshiping see he was not yet a Christian convert though that's what's important he was a Gentile so a non-Jew but he recognized the one true God and God tells us in his word, it says in Romans uh, 10, 13 to 15, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on, him, uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You see, remember it said that when the angel appeared to Cornelius, he said, Cornelius, your alms and your worship have risen like a memorial to God. God recognized that. That he was searching for the one true God to worship him. So God honors that and then leads him to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, so we need to remember this as well. If people are searching, God will use us to lead them to Jesus Christ. Because people are searching for the truth. And there are those who are following after God, but they don't recognize that they need to follow Him through the path of Jesus Christ. See, so Cornelius is a great example of that. He was following God and worshiping Him. But he did not yet know Christ. And so God said, I recognize what you're doing. You're trying to worship Me. Let me introduce you to My Son, Jesus. And He does that through the Apostle Peter. Peter's intentions were good. When he saw that sheet descending down and there was all these animals clean and unclean and, and it's descending down and, and the Lord says, rise and kill and eat. And he says, no way, Lord, I'm not doing that. His intentions were good, right? He wanted to do the right thing, but in essence, he was being disobedient. Don't we often do that too? We think we're doing the right thing. We kind of like decide in our own minds like what's right kind of forgetting about the fact that we have the word of the Lord to tell us what's true and right and how to live this Christian life. And so we kind of do what we think is right in our own eyes, but yet we're being still disobedient, even though it might seem right. So it's a great reminder for us. We need to stay in the word so that we do know what God is expecting us to do so that we can be truly obedient to him. You see that? Interesting, like Peter thought that he was doing the right things he had the right intentions but he was still being disobedient we can do the same thing we can have good intentions but still be disobedient if we are not truly following what god has called us to do you know i'm often reminded that that what we do is is, um especially people that are searching out for god what they claim is that you ever hear somebody say like oh me and god are like this like he understands me i understand him there's really no need for the Bible or for Jesus and all that. Me and God, like we got a good understanding. You've heard that before, right? And so there's sort of this concept like 
we can figure God out. But what is that doing? We're kind of bringing God down to our level, not recognizing that it's been said that God doesn't grade on a curve, right? And so He grades according to His standard. And His standard is found in the Word of God. So if we want to measure ourselves against anything, even if our intentions are good, we need to measure it against God's Word and what Jesus Christ taught. Am I right in that? Right? And so that's what we're called to do. That we're supposed to live according to God's standard. Not the world's standard. Not a standard that we make up. Not sort of a, a, you know, a hybrid of something that's scriptural, something spiritual, something that we kind of add to it. It's God's standard. Because that's a standard by which we are judged. And God's standard is Jesus Christ. And the, true, the, the plain truth of the gospel is that there is no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and maybe you're seeking after God and you're kind of like our friend here Cornelius, the truth of the matter is that this whole uh, message is pointing towards and this whole passage of Scripture is that there is no salvation, there is no true redemption and reconciliation to God your Creator apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from Him and His shed blood on the cross. Because remember I was saying earlier, His whole life was a preparation for the cross. John the Baptist led people towards Christ, and then Christ went all the way to the cross. And when he says we're to take up our cross and follow Him, that's the idea, to follow Him all the way to the cross. And then finally, I'll end with this. Ephesians 2.10 says, maybe you know it, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. See, God calls us back to Himself through Christ because He created us. That word workmanship means masterpiece. We are God's master. You are a masterpiece in the eyes of your Creator. Isn't that wonderful to know? That when He looks at you, He sees it's a masterpiece. And he says, we are created in Christ Jesus. We're his masterpiece for a reason. It's to do the work that he's called us to do. Not to work for the salvation, but once he calls us and we respond to that that salvation call, then we do the good works that he had prepared ahead of time so we should walk in them. So my question to you this morning is, what is God preparing next for you? God has created you as a masterpiece to do good works. What's that next good work? What's the next thing that God is calling you to do? You know, He prepared it ahead of time. And He's in the midst of doing that now. Just as we sit here together this morning, He is working in your life. He's working in your life. He's orchestrating things in other people's lives to that effect in your life. Is that awesome? There's people that yet you you have yet to meet That God's already working in their life so that you're going to meet. Like God was working in that guy Mark's life so he could come and teach me all about quantum theory. Right? God was working that and orchestrating that. But then the question is, what is next and how are we going to respond? You see, God says to... um, God says basically to Peter through that vision, I'm ready for the next thing for you. And that was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and then to the whole world. And I'll read it once again. It says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, here's the caveat, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? That's like Cornelius. He's calling on the name of the Lord, but he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't know that yet. How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Because he's calling Peter to go tell Cornelius about Jesus. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's going to be Peter's job. I'm calling Peter. He sent the guys. He's taking them out of Simon the Tanner's house to go to Cornelius' house to tell him the good news of the Gospel. And then how are they to preach? unless they are sent, right? 
And all of that is saying God is orchestrating all of it. And so God is calling us to do the good works that He has prepared beforehand to do. And that looks different for all of us. But there is certainly one thing that He calls all of us to do. And that is to be a witness for Him and for the Gospel. He's called all of us to be missionaries. Did you know that? He's called all of us to go and to share the Gospel. In our families, our workplaces, our schools, our communities, maybe around the world. But He's called all of us, just like Peter, to go and to share the good news to those who are searching. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the the boldness of your word. Thank you for the way that you, you get your message across. Thank you for interesting stories like the vision of the angel to Cornelius and the sheet of animals, clean and unclean, to your servant Peter. Thank you, God, the way that you teach us, direct us, and grow us. God, would you help us to be like Peter, that as you... As you lead us and guide us little by little, that we would catch on, that we would be discerning with our eyes open and our hearts ready for what you call us to do, that we would be ready to learn, to then grow and to go and serve. God, you are calling your your disciple, your servant Peter, to learn. And you taught him. Then you called him to go and to grow so that he could then serve your purposes. We thank you for that beautiful story. God, help us to remember that that's what you do at each of us each and every day. Help us to ask you, Lord, what's next? What would you have us do today? And remind us that you're always calling us to share the good news of the gospel. We love you and we thank you for the way that you never give up on us and you're always working in our lives. For you are alive and well. We appreciate that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.